It is good to see everybody this morning. We started a new series last week called Reflections, and in this series we are uh, we're looking at the gospel of Jesus in the Old Testament. And last week I told you that when you look at the Bible, it's all about Jesus. And you may have known that already. It might have been the first time that you heard that. But when I got that, it really changed the way I look at the Bible. Um, from beginning to end, it's all about Jesus. And so what I wanted to do in this series, we could spend a, a whole lot of time here. Uh, but what I wanted to focus on was the gospel specifically looking at some Old Testament stories of how the gospel uh, is reflected in those Old Testament stories. And if you're a student of the Bible, if you're familiar with it, there is a pattern uh, that starts in the beginning and it repeats over and over again. And it's this, it's, it's sin, you know, the sin of man, and it's God's grace and then God's judgment. And uh, that, that pattern repeats all throughout the Bible. Last week we talked about in the beginning, you know, how God made everything good and perfect and complete. And he was finished, he rested, and uh, Adam and Eve sinned, and they fell out of that perfect relationship with God, and what did God do? He showed them grace, right? He, uh, he made a promise to them that he would kill and destroy the enemy, and then he covered them with, with garments of skin. He did that before they left the garden. And so last week we talked about this, that Jesus was God's plan of salvation from the beginning. You know, God just didn't... Uh, come up with this plan halfway through. He didn't have to really think about what to do. Um, the gospel really isn't a New Testament type of thing. God had this on his mind from the very beginning. And today I want to build off of that. All right, so God had a plan in, in the beginning, and today we're going to talk about this. God's plan is the only plan. Um, God's plan of salvation is the only plan. Over the past couple of weeks, there must have been some kind of uh, NASA, you know, anniversary or something like that because I saw a lot of space movies, which I like. Um, but, you know, Apollo 13, uh, different, different space movies, Armageddon, I like that one, Bruce Willis, right? We share the same hairstyle and he's my role model. But so in these in these movies, it's interesting, and this is real too, that real life, real life. In real life, NASA, these, these brilliant people, people that I just, I will never be this smart. I don't understand it, how, how a person can be so brilliant. They have all these plans, and then they have all these contingency plans, all these backup plans. And you, you saw that in Apollo 13, right? I mean, this really happened, like... Uh, the, they had a team of astronauts that was the primary team, and then they had a backup team, right? They did everything the primary team did just in case. They were the backup. And one of the guys got sick and, and had to fill in, you know, last minute. And, and they have all these backup plans. And, and when I look at the world and, and we hear about the existence of God, well, what happens when you die? The world has many theories about that. The world has many plans, many ideas uh, of what's going to take place. To be, maybe, maybe to be good enough, I, I need to be good enough in order to get to heaven or see God. Or, or maybe there's a, there's a checklist. If I do these certain things throughout the day or throughout the week, then, then I'm good. Or maybe, this is a real popular theory here, maybe everyone goes to heaven, right? Maybe everyone goes to some sort of... Uh, some type of heaven. You may have that type of 
disbelief. You know, God's word tells us something very different. And it's almost offensive because it's so exclusive. Um, God's plan is the only plan. There, there is no backup. There is no secondary plan. There is no other plan. It's, it's his plan. And today we're going to look at the story of Noah and the flood. And back in the fall when we went through Miraculous, we looked at this, but I, we just touched the surface. And today we're really going to uh, not get into the details so much, but I, I really want to make the connection between this event and, and Jesus and the gospel. So I don't know of a greater or more vivid illustration for us in all the Bible that shows us that God's plan of salvation is it, right? There's no other plan of salvation. It's this or it's nothing. As we go through this, you're going to pick up on reflections of Jesus all throughout this. I mean, you're just going to immediately think of Jesus in this. But what I want to do is go through the story of Noah together briefly and then look at what I believe is the most important reflection of Jesus that we get from this story. And so we're going to see this pattern, sin, grace, judgment, sin, grace, judgment. So let's begin with sin. By the time that Noah comes onto the stage, the world is engulfed in sin, right? Uh, yeah, uh, God had covered Adam and Eve with, with grace and sent them out, and I'm sure that uh, you know, things were okay for a while, but it doesn't take long for things to go bad. Uh, the magnitude of sin had reached an unprecedented level. People back then, and you can read the, uh, the history, people back then lived a long time. Uh, Adam lived 930 years, something like that. So that's, that's a long time and probably had a lot of kids. And I, I did the math for me, so I'm 40 with four kids so if I live to be 900, 90 kids, all right, if I keep going at my pace. So, um, but that's a lot of expansion, that's a lot of multiplication, and so you take what's a little bit of sin in the beginning and, you, and, you, and it just grows exponentially like that. You know, give, you give man enough time and he will stray from God. He will. And living righteously. Think about this. You put two five-year-olds in a room together and you put one toy in between them. There'll be bite marks in five minutes. Okay? Just think about that. When we look at the world, that's what took place in the world. Enough time, enough people, the world got really, really wicked to the point where it became saturated in sin did God take notice? Would God take notice? Would he, would he turn a blind eye? Look, this is a statement that's very frightening or very sobering to me. God sees everything. He sees every person, sees every heart, sees every thought, sees every action, sees everything that we do. And so, yeah, he took notice, Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw Saul, how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. 
And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. We see the effects of a sinful world on the heart of God here. In verse 7, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. That word wipe, um, it's not a nice word at all. Um, it literally means to uh, clean yourself from dirt, animal, dung. You, you, you're cleansing yourself, right? That's what, that's what the Lord is saying here. I will cleanse this place from the filth that it is turned into. And with them, the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. So what can we take away from this? Well, sin grieves God. God's, God not only sees sin, but it affects him. It affects his heart. It grieves him. It breaks the heart of God. Speaking of reflections, you know, this series is called Reflections. Uh, man was made in the image of God, and so that means that we were to be reflectors of God. We were to reflect God, and we didn't do that in the beginning. We didn't do that at all in the beginning. And then as time goes by, that, that reflection got smaller and smaller, dimmer and dimmer to the point where there's no reflection at all. So what would God do? He would wipe the world out. Which brings me to this. Do we take sin seriously? How do we view sin, right? I know when we watch the news in the morning, we wake up and we're thinking, whoa, this world's bad. Or we read the newspaper, oh, that's, that's terrible. I can't believe what's going on over here. But do we look in the mirror at our own reflection and say, what's going on? You know, does sin bother us? Do we feel the same way that God feels about sin? You know, God takes sin seriously, so he decided to do something about it. He decided to wipe everything out but even though God is, is just, even though God is righteous, he's also merciful. And mercy is an interesting word. It's withholding punishment. So you, it's, it's like this. We deserve punishment. God showed us mercy, so he withheld that type of punishment that we deserved. That's mercy. I believe God's a merciful God. I believe God is also a gracious God. And what grace is? Grace is the opposite of mercy. Grace is giving something that you don't deserve. So you see, God brings it from two different ends here. He, with, he withholds judgment and shows mercy, and he gives grace which isn't deserved. And he did that through one man and his family, through Noah, Genesis 6-8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now that's worded interestingly. It's almost like um, Noah was searching for grace. Noah was searching for mercy, and that's not the case. You know, God saw Noah and gave him favor on his own. And if you read through this, the whole world was wicked, including Noah. Noah was a sinner too. He was just a little better than everybody else. All right? But Noah found favor. What this means is God singled Noah out. For no other reason other than God being God and God singling Noah out. Same thing happened to Mary. Okay, if you read in the New Testament. Greetings, Mary, highly favored. You know, before then, you know, she hadn't done anything to get her to that point. 
God singled her out. God singled out Noah as well. And before Noah did anything else, God told him the plan. God told him that the world was wicked. God said, this is what's coming. This is what my plan is. This is what I want you to do. This is how you need to build this boat. He gave them the warning and he gave them the plan for safety. Here's the thing. Noah could have ignored all that. But he believed God. He had faith in God. He had faith in what God told him. And and it's because of that faith that he obeyed. His faith led to obedience. Genesis 6.22 Noah did everything just as God commanded him. I look back at Noah's faith and I'm blown away by, by his faith. He had remarkable faith. He had a, he had a fearful, fearful type of faith of God. He had a reverent faith. And he, he displayed, how his faith displayed was through obedience. Right? It's one thing to say that you believe in God, but it's another to show it through your obedience. And look, it wasn't just a one-time obedience. That's real popular. Maybe we profess our faith in God and we go through a, a season of, of obedience and then we, we stray from that. No, no, it didn't do that. It, it was a committed obedience. It wasn't short-lived. So we need to ask, are we obedient to God's commands? Right? Um, how genuine is our faith in, in God? Do we love? Do we forgive? Do we serve? Do we give of our resources back to the church? Do we share Christ with others? Do we pray? Do you know all those are commands? Now, obedience matters to God. It does. You want to know what God loves? God loves it when our faith is to the point where we actually obey him. That's what God loves. We want to know what blows God away? Yeah, you can, you can really impress God. You can really blow God away with your faith. It's when you are obedient when it doesn't make sense. It's one thing to obey when things are going good for you, when you understand things, when it's a good time for you, when things make sense. It's a completely different thing, and it's radical, and it, God loves it when you obey him and it doesn't make sense. When it's hard, when it's difficult. You want to, listen to this. 120 years Noah built the ark. I know we think it just happened overnight. Nope. 120 years of obedience. I'm just thinking about it after month two. I'm like, what's going on? God, are, is it, are you real? Is this going to happen? 120 years. He was told to build a boat because it was going to rain and listen there was no rain no rain before this no rain after he started no rain for 120 years he's like what's rain he still built the boat he built a boat in a desert okay i know we think it's like right beside the river no he built a boat in the middle of a desert not just any boat Okay, they had boats then. This was a huge boat, huge. 
And sometimes we, you know, hear people say, well, is this real? Is this a real story? There's no way two of every animal could fit on this boat. You mean to tell me that 100,000 square feet isn't big? You mean to tell me that 1.5 million cubic feet of volume isn't big? You mean to tell me that you can't fit a lot of animals inside 500 Norfolk Southern rail cars? 500? That's the size of the ark. So Noah wasn't just told to build a canoe or a john boat or a bass boat. I'm thinking, such a big thing that God told him to build in the middle of nowhere that took such a long time. And this verse, Noah did everything just as the Lord commanded. Even when it didn't make sense. Even when people made fun of him. Even when people wrote him off. Even when his family said, you're crazy. Even when he looked foolish. Even if he had to give his whole life over to doing this. Even if he had to be uncomfortable. Even if he couldn't live the Middle Eastern dream or whatever it was at that time. (laughs) Even when it didn't make sense, Noah obeyed the Lord and God loved it. He loved that. He chose Noah. He told him the plan. Noah could have said, no, I'm not doing that. But he didn't. He did it. And God loved it. Genesis 7, 1. Because of that, the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. You see, God told him this after the ark was complete. Go into the ark now. You have obeyed me. I have found you righteous. You see, it was God's favor, God's favor, which is a combination of mercy and grace. Mercy and grace, that's God's favor. And Noah's faith. It's those two things that allowed for the salvation of him and his family. And Noah and his family got on the boat. And once they were safely inside, we know this story. God's judgment began. Sin, grace, judgment. And it's... When God gets involved with judgment, it's devastating. God doesn't halfway do anything. Just like creation was complete, judgment was complete too. God brought the rain and it says it rained for 40 days and nights. And that doesn't mean it rained for 80 days. It means it rained for 40 days nonstop. Nonstop. I know this week we had a couple of downpours and it was pretty bad. And I was, this story was in my head all week. I was thinking, God, how devastating that would have been. 40 straight days of that. It rained from above. It came from below. Water covered the entire earth. And and this is a theory out there too that that this just happened in the Middle East. (laughs) No. No. Not just in the Middle East. Not just part of the world, but all of it. Even over the highest Mountain, the Bible says, that the water covered the mountains by 15 cubits. What's a cubit? It's about 25 feet over the highest mountain. Evidence is all over the world of a catastrophic flood. So many cultures write about a catastrophic flood. Many, many religions 
point back to a catastrophic flood. And you look at the Grand Canyon, there's an there's a, uh, at-home image of the result of a catastrophic flood. You look at that and you're just amazed. You want to know what caused that? God's judgment caused that. Nothing, nothing survived. It was so devastating. You know, this isn't a children's story at all. Every animal on the land perished. Every person on the land perished. Men, women, children. Now, I've struggled with that. That is tough. But here's, here's what I've decided to do. With, here's where I'm at with this. I believe God is just, but I also believe God is good. I believe he's a good father. I don't think he would hold any child accountable for sin. Okay? As bad as the flood was, I, I do see mercy and grace here in the flood. The, if you read before, and you and just picture in your mind a world where every person was wicked. A world that was entirely evil. We, we are sometimes shielded by, by the world where we live in America. Every person's thoughts were on evil all the time, and I'm thinking, would I want my child to grow up in that type of world where I have to worry about abuse every day, where I have to worry about torture? I don't know. I, I believe God took the innocent out of a very bad world and put them into a much better one. But through, through, the, through the flood... We see the consequences of sin, and it's devastating. We see the, the judgment. We see what sin ultimately leads to, devastation. Well, what was God's desire in all this? Well, if you read through after the flood, we see that new life began. God's desire was for new life to begin, starting over, you know, uh, second, second chances. And God is merciful, which means God is a God of second chances. And I don't know about you, but I personally am thankful that God is a God of second chances. I mean, I needed a second chance, and God gave that to me. I need second chances every day, and God is a merciful God. God is a second chance God, Genesis eight fifteen. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground. So they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. God wanted Noah and his family to begin again, to start fresh, to have life. And the language that is used here is almost exactly the same as God gave to Noah, I mean Adam and Eve at the beginning. And it's even better here because steak's on the menu now. If you read through a little bit, you know, now, now Noah, they can eat meat. So... Life, again, second chances, new life, a, a better life, I guess, a fuller life. And there was this moment after the flood where Noah made sacrifices uh, to God. And yeah, he took enough animals to do that. You know, he didn't wipe out a whole class of animals to do sacrifice. He took animals just for a sacrifice, extra animals. And it said that that pleased God. And there was this moment where man was thankful and worshiping God. And God, in return, said... 
I will never again do this. I will never again devastate the world with a flood. I will never again judge the world with a flood. And he put his rainbow in the sky as a sign of that promise. And um, I'm thinking, you know, why a rainbow? I mean, just think if you if you were Noah and, and their descendants and what would you think the next time it rained? You'd be scared to death, wouldn't you? Oh, the, the rainbow spoke of God's promise. And, and this is where the story usually ends for us. We usually stop it right here, don't we? And this is a, a great end to a, to a good story. But the story of Noah has a very disturbing ending that we never talk about. So I'm going to talk about it today. You ready? Genesis 9.20. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. You ever seen that on a mural? Maybe over in the corner somewhere. Oh, there's no, what is he doing? <laughs> or ha, has that ever been in a kid's book? No. <laughs> I mean, what's the big deal about this? Well, it's shameful. We just talked about Adam and Eve. They were naked before. After they sinned, they were ashamed because they were naked. From that point on, nakedness uh, was connected with shame. Shameful. He got wasted. And he, he laid exposed inside of his tent. He brought shame on not only him, but his family. Who does that sound like? Adam and Eve, right? Shame. And then what he did is remarkable. He blamed one of his sons for it. (laughs) Blamed one of his sons, and he cursed his grandson. Now, I'm just not talking about using foul language. When somebody cursed somebody in the Old Testament, you you were cutting them off. Cursed his grandson, Canaan. Didn't take responsibility. You see, the problem of sin still existed this the operation had been performed but the underlying disease was still there sin was still in man mankind had a major problem which tells us what a permanent rescue was needed right a a greater salvation was needed and here's the reflection that i'm going to draw when i look at the story of noah here is what i see here's the reflection of jesus that i see jesus is the greater ark of salvation uh, we, can, we can say, well, Jesus looks like Noah. Well, yeah, or Jesus looks like the rainbow and all this stuff. But the, the biggest connection here, the biggest reflection is that Jesus is the greater ark. The ark was a box. That's what it literally means, box. And, and it's used only twice in all the Bible. The other time it's used to describe what Moses was placed in. When his mom put him in the Nile River. You ever seen the Nile River, like on National Geographic, full of crocodiles and stuff? His mom put him in a small box and put him in the river. Both times, the ark or box saves the person or persons inside the box. You see. The ark was sent by God to save Noah and his family and the animals. Jesus was sent to us to save us that's why jesus came jesus is the vessel of salvation sent by god look at first timothy 1 
15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, this is something we need to understand and get. This is foundational. If we don't understand this, Paul is going to whip us. That's what he's saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You see, Jesus is the greater ark. He didn't just come to save a few or to save some good people that were righteous among their generation. He came to save the world, all sinners, even the worst sinner in the world. And Jesus didn't just provide salvation for a little while, you know, but he provides salvation forever. In so many ways, Jesus is the greater ark of salvation. Why is that important? Well, this right here, a greater judgment is coming. Greater judgment is coming. Look, the floods were on the earth for six months. There's something greater than that coming. A judgment that lasts forever. We think the flood was devastating. There is a greater judgment coming. Jesus talked about this a lot. And actually in Matthew, all of chapter 24 and all of chapter 25 have to deal with the the second coming of Jesus and future judgment. What will that day be like? Matthew 24, verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying, look, my coming, my judgment is going to be like it was in the days of Noah. Well, how was it? Well, look, verse 38. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. What that's saying is Jesus, uh, Jesus is saying all these people, all the earth were just going on with life as usual. They were not paying attention. They were not ready. They were focused on other things. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And this is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, the Bible says that. Do we believe that? You skip over to Matthew 25, just the very next chapter. The whole chapter is three parables, okay? And I'm going to do a terrible job of summarizing those three parables for you. The first one is the ten virgins, okay? Uh, basically, the, the summary for that parable is don't miss the party, right? There's a chance that you could miss the party. Don't miss the party. And then there's the bags of gold or talents, which means that we are to use resources and time wisely because the landlord is returning and will hold us accountable for what he's given to us. And then the last one is the sheeps, sheeps and goats. Sheep and goats, excuse me. Did that drive you crazy? Sheep and goats. When the shepherd comes, you're either a sheep or you're a goat. And when he comes, you can't change. You can't go be another one. You're either a sheep or a goat. The sides are already chosen. Revelation chapter 19 and chapter 20. Read those when you go home today. When the Lord returns, he destroys all sin. He destroys all sinners. 
and then he sends them away into an everlasting punishment. And then the Lord makes a new heaven and a new earth. He doesn't just repurpose the old one. Everything is judged by fire. And the Lord holds true to his promise of not judging the world by flood, by water. Man, a greater judgment is coming. So what do we do? Well, the door to the ark is open. Okay, and I'm finishing up here. It's interesting to me that the ark had only one door. Right? One door. That's, that's it. One way in, one way out. The Titanic, which is much bigger than the ark, had 40 doors. Had over 40 entry doors it had hundreds of doors on the inside you know connecting the rooms but as far as accessing the titanic 40 doors 70 percent of the people on that boat perished i think i'll go with 100 percent with the one door um i heard the message from billy graham when i was younger that scared me to death I love hearing Billy Graham messages. But he talked about Noah's Ark, and he talked about the floods coming, and he talked about the door being shut and Noah and his family being safely inside. And then he talked about people just banging on the sides of the boat and banging on the door wanting to get in, but by then it was too late. Yeah, it probably didn't happen, but I'm thinking, man, that is, that's so devastating. The truth is there is only one door. And Jesus is that door. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through me. That is the only way to get to God. That's, that is pretty exclusive. There is no other way to the Father. There is no other way to be saved than through Jesus. Well, I don't know about Jesus being the door and all that. John 10, 9, I am the door. <laughs> Listen to this, how much this sounds like Noah and, and, and the greater ark of salvation. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Look, here's the thing. The door to the ark is open. The door to the greater ark is open. And he has given an open invitation to everyone. John 3, 16, right? And Jesus himself said, come to me. There is an open invitation. In Peter, it says that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. God is patient, but there will be a time when that patience is up. Just like there was with Noah, 120 years tells me that there was a long time for people to change their mind, to turn to God, to say, what is this going on out here in the middle of the desert? And to, to join, right? To get on board. 120 years, Noah built the boat with people watching, and then the door closed. Time is coming when this door will close too, right? So look, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've got to get on the boat. You might say, well, I don't understand that. I don't, I don't really get that. I don't 
don't really believe in this judgment thing. Well, look, you're going to die one day. I hate to break the news to you. And it, when Jesus returns, the Bible tells, that, tells us that it happens in the twinkling of an eye. Now, I don't know what that means. My eyes don't twinkle. They droop a little bit. But I can close my, I can blink my eyes, and that's pretty fast. Okay? When the Lord comes back, that's how fast it'll be. And when the Lord comes back, it'll be too late. Too late. It's either that or, or you die. And both are fast. You don't just halfway die. There's not a, there's not a medium. There's not an in-between. You're, you're in life or you're dead. One or the other. Those of us that are Christians, let's make sure that we're being obedient. Right? Let's, let's make sure we're being obedient to God and let's tell others about the boat. Man, if, if we knew that a major catastrophe was coming and there was safety, what would we do? Would we be telling others about this, about the safety? Find refuge. Look, I'm not saying to go on a street corner and hold up a sign and say judgment is coming. I'm not saying that at all. But we need to tell people the truth. We don't need to worry about being offensive. If you don't, one day, I I promise you, you'll regret not sharing it with someone. You'll regret it. And I can guarantee you they'll regret it too. We just need to tell people that judgment's coming, there's good news, there's a way to be saved, and that's Jesus because he is the greater ark of salvation. So let's get busy pointing to people to the salvation that's only found in Jesus because he is God's one and only plan for saving this world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this study this morning. Thank you for your word and how we can look at it and know that it's true and we can look at future events and and know that they will take place. Father, as we look at this story in Noah, we see so many things that connect uh, and relate to, to Jesus, but ultimately we see that Jesus is the greater ark of salvation. In so many ways, Jesus... Uh, is so much greater, uh, such a great Savior, a Savior of the world. And we thank you, God, and we praise you for sending him to us. Father, I pray that we may be obedient to your commands because that shows, a, shows you uh, how serious we are about you, and that shows you our faith. Father, I pray that if there's a person here that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a relationship with you, that they would see your son Jesus, as the only way to be saved. And Father, may we as Christians um, live our lives with urgency. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. We are warned so many times that your return will be quick, um, that it'll be when no one expects it, that we are to be ready at any moment. And let's, may we do that. May we live like we don't belong here. Um, Father, may we uh, 
live to tell others about you and proclaim the salvation and good news that's found in your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.